for Yellowstone National Park and the Acoustic Atlas at Montana State University. This is telemetry. And we'll start in three, two, one. Kelly Willemsons is leaning forward, scanning with her binoculars. She lands her sights on an animal covered with spots and undulating stripes. A lot of people like um, photographing them because they're pretty charismatic. Kelly records her field notes into a digital recorder. She doesn't take her eyes off the creature. It's an ambush predator. It crouches, stock still, then explodes into a run. Run, stop, run, stop. Run, stop. Stay. It's one of the fastest land animals on Earth, but it would fit on your thumbnail with room to spare. This is Cicindella hemorrhagica. That's the Latin name for one of Yellowstone's resident species of tiger beetle, the wet salts tiger beetle. Kelly is studying these insects as part of her PhD project with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Um, the first thing we do is observational work. Run. Stop. It's kind of repetitive, as you may have heard. It's run, run stop, stop, run, run stop, stop, run, run stop. Continuous focal sampling is what it's called. Um, what do you guys call it? <laughs> watching one beetle for 10 minutes. <laughs> so it's kind of a set time that you choose. Several rounds of watching one beetle for 10 minutes marks the first step toward understanding the behavior of Cicindella hemorrhagica. Not much is known about this wee little beetle. So we want to know where did it go? What do they eat? Do they drink? What temperatures are they at? Do they use different behaviors to cope with heat? How tiger beetles respond to heat is actually a big focus of Kelly's project. Tiger beetles have a cosmopolitan distribution. That means they're found all over the world. And the wet salts tiger beetle, as its name implies, is almost always found near water. But we've never ever documented a beetle before near the thermal springs. And this is the thing that sets these tiger beetles apart. Here in Yellowstone, the wet salt species is associated exclusively with thermal springs. So we're talking about water up to um, 65 degrees Celsius. Um, some of the water we've seen here is 2.2 uh, pH, which is extremely acidic. Basically, that's like lemon juice, 150 degree lemon juice. Uh, it has arsenic, it has heavy metals, it's full of toxins. So the fact that these beetles are here and they're thriving is absolutely unique and kind of a mystery. So in addition to studying the different behaviors of Yellowstone's tiger beetles, Kelly will be analyzing their physiology, too. Because these beetles live at extreme temperatures, extreme environments, I want to figure out how they do it, what kind of mechanisms do they use, and can we use those mechanisms for other purposes? For instance, there's something called a heat shock protein. So everyone has it. Humans, we have it, too. If our cells get into too hot of an environment, our DNA will denature, so it will unravel and open up. That's not good. We don't want our DNA to unravel and open up. These heat shock proteins, they will attach to the DNA and they will recoil it, so they will um, bind it once again. There are different species with different kinds of heat shock proteins, and some can stay in warmer environments. 
So it would be really cool to figure out what kind of heat shock proteins these beetles use, because maybe someone in the medical field can use this knowledge. Kelly says it's a pretty far stretch, but investigations like hers could lead to those sorts of advancements someday. Our environment is getting a lot more extreme. And by studying these extremists, extremophiles, hopefully we can come up with ways to cope with a changing world like that. It might be hard to imagine that something smaller than a thumbnail could have so much to teach us. But Kelly says these teeny tiny predators in Yellowstone are just the beginning of the mostly unknown world of insects. I'm just focusing on this one tiger beetle, but there's so much more left out there to discover and explore. On the other side of the park, National Park Service biologist Eric Oberg agrees. And while pretty much all of the vertebrates and birds and uh, you know mammals and things here in Yellowstone have, have been described, we know about them, we know their home ranges, we know a lot about their, their life histories and ecologies, insects is, is wide open. So this is in fact the, this is the wild, wild west of biological discovery out here. All you have to do to find new species or new discoveries is come out here and look for them. Like Kelly, Eric Oberg focuses on beetles too, but Eric's study takes a wider view of insect populations in the park. Altogether, we're tracking nine different orders. So beetles plus eight additional orders of insects are all being sorted and preserved for this project. Eric likes to say that his project is powered by citizen scientists. He and his team of volunteers spend their summers trapping insects across a variety of habitats in Yellowstone, and their winters identifying what they caught. And it's, it's an unassuming little, uh, little scientific study. It, it's basically an 8-inch by 8-inch white square piece of plastic staked into the ground. With Eric removes the white square cover to reveal what's called a pitfall trap. It's a plastic deli cup like the kind you'd get potato salad in. It sits down in a shallow hole, and it's filled with about an inch or two of clear liquid, preservative fluid for the dozens of insects that have fallen in and are now floating in it. Looks like we have a nice sample here. It's actually yep. pretty clean. So basically, just kind of a, you know, an, an assortment, a, a smorgasbord of insects, if you will. And so now we are going to uh, take a, uh, a second cup and a very sophisticated scientific tool, um, a pasta strainer, and a uh, piece of organza fabric, which is available at any fabric store and, uh, or at any local wedding. And <laughs> the mesh of that organza is small enough that it will catch even the smallest insect. So smaller than a millimeter um, biodiversity is gonna be captured by this project. Yeah, this, this is uh, quintessentially small game hunting. Oh, and look at this. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All the stuff that's floating on the top. Uh -huh. Eric holds up the deli cup. Wow. It looks like a tiny serving of soup covered with a skin of ground pepper. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you can barely see through to the bottom of the liquid because the entire surface is covered with springtails. And remind the listeners what a, what a springtail is. 
So uh, a, a springtail is in a group called Columbula. They're the most numerous six-legged insect on the planet, and they are responsible for nothing short of creating the soil that we're standing on. So their whole life is all about eating dead plants, mm -hmm. um, digesting it, and turning it into soil um, with nutrients that are able to be taken up by plants to repeat the whole cycle again. So bison, bison need springtails, elk need springtails, people need springtails. It's just that most people don't know it. We think we're really important, way up at that tippy top of that little food pyramid, yeah. but it's all, it's a, it's a food pyramid of cards if we're not careful. So. I looked down at the tiny specks, then out across the impossibly wide landscape. Springtails, landscape. Springtails, landscape. Mind absolutely blown. It's really easy to be fascinated by a beautiful butterfly or a dragonfly that might, you know, perch next to you on your, uh, on your picnic here in the park. But we're really just starting to understand how incredibly dependent on all of these organisms we are and how important they are to the fabric of the landscape and all of its inter interdependencies that are playing out here in Yellowstone. And, and they're also just really cool looking. Um, we'll show you some of those under the microscope um, later on. As we pack up to leave, Eric checks in with one of his recruits. We have been going nonstop. How many steps on your Fitbit today? 19,605. I was really hoping we were going to go over 20,000. Maybe by the close. time we get back we to the car. <laughs> so by the time we get back to the car, that'll be 20. 20,000 steps, that's about a 10-mile day in, in quarter-mile increments from one pitfall to the next. So we did 40, so we visited four sites. Eric's pitfall sites move upslope from low elevation to high elevation. Eric will be able to record findings across a gradient spanning more than a vertical mile. What's more, his project ties into a nationwide network of monitoring sites designed to understand how our ecosystems are changing over time. Eric will be able to compare what he sees here in Yellowstone to the results of the National Ecological Observatory Network. In Eric's office, two microscopes sit on a table tucked under a shelf lined with books. This is his insect processing laboratory. It's where everything from basin to summit gets sorted and cataloged. So we're really establishing a baseline for what the current ecosystem looks like in Yellowstone from the Gardner Basin to the top of Mount Washburn. Eric shows me a sampling of this season's catch under the microscope. So if you adjust, so when you look through the microscope and you adjust your, this is your focus. Right? I finally figured that out. So this is a little time capsule of the biodiversity that happened to be crawling around under the sagebrush habitat, basically here in the Mammoth Hot Springs area of Yellowstone. And so for this tiny little two-week window where we deployed our pitfall traps, this is what we found. These are all springtails. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. To the naked eye, each springtail looks like a click or two of a mechanical pencil lead. 
but under the power of the microscope, they transform into extraordinary shrimp-like little beasts. So day in and day out, year in and year out, those little critters, those tiny, pale, translucent gems, those are the things that make our soil. Eric says that what's really interesting is that they're finding more springtails at sites that are heavily impacted by human activities and fewer springtails at sites that are considered more pristine. I don't know why that is. We would need to send these off to a, a taxonomist expert who might make some more informed speculations about this. But if your, if your ecological niche is to create topsoil, it makes sense that you would want to be in a place where where topsoil needed to be made. So I don't know what's going on there, but those are clues that nature is telling us something is going on um, that's, that's worth investigating. Um, do you notice um, how it looks like they have kind of a long tail? Yeah, I do, I see that. Okay, that's the furcola. So that... Oh, well, of course. <laughs> of course, Jennifer. <laughs> Clearly, you can see the furcola. Um, the furcola is the modified abdominal segment that is the jumping escape organ for the springtail. So it folds that little lever under its abdomen and then if anything frightens it or tries to grab it or eat it, it releases that furcola, that folded lever under its body, and launches itself 20 to 40 body lengths away from where it was, from a, from a standing position. Wouldn't it be fun if you had the superpower of being able to launch yourself 20 to 40 body lengths away anytime you wanted that, uh, you know, and land without hurting yourself? That, that's, that's kind of a cool skill, so. Do you know what the, the, we should look up what the world record is for long jump? There you go. I, I bet you, I bet you springtails have got it hands down. What you're looking at is a, a, a piece of biological sculpture that's been crafted over 350 million years of evolution. I think we have a lot to learn from, from these little guys. We know a tiny, tiny fraction about the life cycles and the ecology of all of these different organisms that, we're, that we've captured getting them into the lab where we where we have an opportunity to study them further is just the very first step in this process of discovery and exploration. It's discovery and exploration in miniature, but with huge impacts. What scientists like Eric and Kelly want us to remember is that it's the little things. It's often the things we can't see that really drive ecosystems like Yellowstone. And without those little things in Yellowstone, Yellowstone as we know it might be a very different place. This podcast is supported in part by Yellowstone Forever and the Eyes on Yellowstone program. Eyes on Yellowstone is made possible by Canon USA. This program represents the largest corporate donation for wildlife conservation in the park. This is Telemetry. Thanks for listening.